uh, I think the in the email that I sent you guys, we talk about uh, the last subject that we have. It's how or if swimming can be individualized, uh, if we can do that, and if, if our f uh, favorite exercise or set is X, how and why we do make use of it. That's one thing, but also uh, Jimmy Tierney sent me an email today. I think this might be a much better uh, thing to talk. Uh, he, he said that maybe we can talk about, have you asked the question, what will lead to the next big break through breakthrough in our sport? This could be in general or in a stroke specific. So what do you guys wanna chat about? Jimmy's question sounds super interesting. You know, so uh, is Jimmy in here? Because Jimmy asked me about that. But, um, uh, now uh, we can we can start with Jimmy's question and um, and see where we go from there. Does uh, anybody wants to take the lead on this? Wow, we have very outgoing people. I mean, I can. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll jump in for a sec. Um, awesome. I mean, so something that I think would probably definitely be the the next big breakthrough. Um, I actually talked with uh, with Doctor Doctor Goldsmith Wayne Goldsmith about this. Um, is preparing athletes mentally, but kind of also. Um, can you guys hear me? I'm using new headphones. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, not only preparing athletes mentally, um, but also kind of being able to take them from um, really, really preparing them starting younger and younger to really aspire to work towards higher performance. Like instead of talking with a, you know, instead of talking with a, you know, with a 12, 13 year old about, hey, do you want to take this sport seriously? Starting that idea and mindset at eight and then figuring out how they can build as an eight-year-old to achieve Olympic times by the time that they're 16, 17, 18, 18 years old. So does he have an idea of how we, we need to do that? Um, so something that he, he's, I don't know if you've ever heard any of his talks, um, but he, I think he's a little extreme <laughs> um, in my opinion, but um, the idea that he had was just talking to you. I mean, just basically planting the seeds, introducing them to Olympians, getting on the phone and then having an Olympian come to your, come to your club and say, you know, and having them come to come to your club or come to your, wherever you practice and say, Hey, this is what we did when, when I was your age, this is what we did when I was your age, or this is what we did you know, before, and this is what I did when I was your age before practice this is what I did with, at your age after practice. Um, and educating these younger athletes that, yeah, you know, you may have these Olympic dreams and this is what you actually really need to do versus, in, versus just sticking with the idea that, uh, it's just a few lucky kids who make it. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I think I think preparing them mentally is a very important thing, you know, uh, no matter what. I think uh, anybody that has a little bit of common sense in, uh, as a coach understands that psychology is has uh, and the training of the mind has more power than the physiology most of the time. You know? I I really believe that. But uh, I think for me. If I think about the question that Jimmy asked about what's going to be the next breakthrough, I think we have it in front of us. Uh, I think this this pandemic, this coronavirus thing, might change the way we coach at a hundred percent, and that could be a breakthrough too. You know why? Because we're going to have to be creative. We're going to have to, you know, who knows how much pull time we're going to have in the future? Who knows if? Instead of two practices a day, we only have a space for one practice a day. Well, how are we going to deal with that? And how are we going to make sure that we believe that we can still break a world record? You know what I mean? And, and I think that's, that's a pretty interesting thought. You know? uh, 
we all believe that everybody's worried that if I don't have a system, if I don't have, if I cannot train uh, my 26 hours a week, if I cannot do this, I'm not going to be good enough. But maybe that's not true. I know. Because if, if there's a phase, if, if there's a phase three and then there's a second wave and then we're out of the water and then we can, uh, for the next year we can only practice one hour because we have to have only one person per lane and we have to do this and we have to give a service to so many kids. How are we going to be creative with the practices that we do? Or are we going to sit at home thinking, well, you know, I cannot, I cannot do five two hundreds. I have to do uh, 650s. So my kid is not going to be good in the mile. You know what I mean? Just throwing things out there. So, so I think that the, the next breakthrough could be very, very, you know, it's like when we had the swimsuits, that people thought that when they took the swimsuits away, that there was no way they were going to break the world records. You break 168 or 180 or 170 world records in one year, and everyone's like, wow, now nobody else is going to break the world records. Well, many of those have been broken. So, so Sarah, do you think that, that because of the pandemic, coaches are going to start thinking more, how can I get the mo you know, thinking more efficiently? How can I, can I get more out of my kids oh, um, in the constricted time? Absolutely. hundred percent. We will have to, at least for the next year or two years, you know, you, you know, like Singapore, they did a very good job with the first wave of things, but they made one mistake. They forgot about the, the workers, the, the expats that they have, the low-level workers who were living in these places, and some of them left, and they, they allowed them to come back. So they had a second wave. So right now, they shut down the country until July 1st or July something, you know, when they thought that they, were, they already started going back. To it. And they don't have big numbers. Just imagine if now with the riots or with the riots and with all this happening here, we have a big wave. The first thing that people are going to do are going to be like, go back to social distancing and be careful until we have a, a vaccine. And that vaccine might not come for the next six months to a year. Who knows? You know? So then you're going to have to be very creative if there's any season on how you can, you can make your, your kids swim at the highest level. I don't know if that makes sense. Jason, do you have an opinion or Jordan or anybody? Like, I know I'm handsome. I'm really handsome. And I don't know if I agree with that. No. Uh, oh, David. <laughs> hey, so. Um, Come on. Just I, a little I, bit. I, I, listen, it's just not my type. Oh. The, um, uh, I, I really agree with the thought that we can see some really special stuff come out of this because, you know, I, I think some of these kids that have gone through, you know, they just do things the way they've always done things. And then maybe they get, you know, this is a chance for some of them to grow, get bigger, taller, but also, you know, develop leg strength and jumping abilities and some other body strength things that normally they wouldn't have the, uh, I guess the fortitude to do. And I just think that this is going to be an opportunity when people come back and they're still able to go as fast say, okay, how did someone go so fast and continue to get better without being in the pool for 26 hours, you know, and, and say, well, what, what was going on? Okay. I was doing a lot of jump rope. I was doing a lot of jump training. I was focusing on my hip mobility and, and just these other things that I, I believe in swimming, just getting, I don't want to say ignored, but maybe pushed to the back burner. And, um, you know, being able to start trusting that there's other ways to do things besides just, and I'm not saying everyone does it, but just the go, go, go mentality of, all right, we can go, but we can be smart, you know, just like the suits taught us, hey, it's not about working as hard as you can. It's like, let's get our bodies as efficient through the water. And uh, I, I believe people are going to come back in the next 18 months. And, and I think world records will get broken even without, the, the massive volumes of water. I think the young kids are going to come back and I think a lot of them are going to be bigger and taller and stronger than they used to be uh, because their bodies have had multiple months to rest where in the past we, we tend to just 
in my opinion, sometimes slam these kids down and they never had a chance to actually grow physically. So um, maybe it's just a chance for us to learn how to build a bigger, stronger athletic machine through, uh, you know, through not simulated rest, but through rest and recovery. I don't know. My thoughts. Uh, I, I, I agree 100% with you in the sense that I always believe that we decelerate the swimmers. And our job as a coach is how you can generate, how you can create a practice or design a, a system where naturally you're going to take the speed away from your kids. You know, you want to build some aerobic things, you want to do this, but because of so much repetition in the water, you decelerate the kids. And people don't think about that. The, the idea would be, when your kid takes a break, takes four weeks off the water or three weeks when they're young and they come back, you can see some really fast kids moving through the water. And our goal is to push them harder so three weeks later, they're swimming a lot slower. Make sense? So we think that when we taper, when we rest them, there's going to be an adaptation or whatever it is and they're going to swim fast. So I think, I think people are going to think that. You, know, you, you have to really be conscious about how you decelerate the athlete. You know, you take the speed out of the athlete. That's that's something that maybe a lot of people don't think about. But I agree with you, David, that I think people will look at other avenues of, like, how to get the athlete more well-rounded athlete, how to get the swimmer a more well-rounded athlete so they can can perform at a higher level in the water. You know, I've even been looking at, and I've I've talked to to David about – when we get back into full swing of things, I want to keep my, I, I'm doing dr- daily dry lands with my kids uh, at, you know, eight fifteen each day. And I really like running dry lands through zoom to be quite honest. The, uh, I, I participate with them. So I'm getting in pretty good shape instead of me coaching them. I just do the workout. They try to keep up with me. Good luck. And then, um, the, uh, the thing is those, we're in and out of there in 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes. It didn't take a half an hour to drive to a facility, half an hour to go back, shower, do this, that, or the other. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe colleges and other places that do have times restraints or constrictions. Uh, and I know myself personally trying to figure out how to do dry land, how to fit some of these other things into a program. I'm wanting to keep an at home dry land, you know, maybe visualization, maybe yoga, whatever it's going to be type of thing in the program to give them back time in their day. So I want to, I want to get more out of it, but I also want to give them back time. So that way, you know, they, they can do it, you know, remotely, even when we're full back in, in, in things. So bonus yeah. thought. That's awesome. Well. One thing I want to add to that, actually, that I've been talking about with different people is actually, you know, me, if I was definitely coaching club, is actually using this platform that we're using right now, Zoom, to communicate more with, you know, parents. You know, instead of them coming to the pool and you talking to them, like, you know, you can create a way where you could have more parent meetings now on Zoom from home instead of their asses having to come to the pool, sit in your, you know, wherever and meet with them. Now you could, you know, do more of these to create little groups or bigger groups with, you know, 300 person team, have all your parents come onto this thing. So you have a better turnaround and, you know, most club teams only get maybe one third of their parents or half their parents to these team meetings, club meetings, things like that. So I think the next wave, honestly, for club swimming or even college swimming, maybe for that matter is using this platform that we have to communicate better with people who don't always want to come to the pool. So that's something in my mind that, be a powerful tool to use in the future. So that's kind of my thought on that. It has nothing to do with swimming. Thanks. Yeah, I think, I think that's I think that's great. The uh, I, I really feel like this whole thing has forced people to do something that they weren't comfortable doing with things like Zoom, and that's that's you know I think that's a brilliant concept to to bring the communication end of the parents. I could even imagine in college. I mean, could you get an alumni? thing going together on in collegiate you know yeah. just find for, ways to connect yeah for us i want to do i think it was i talked with the guy who's organizing helping me july 1st i want to have a, an alumni session with with the virginia tech alums just because 
just to answer questions and to show them and talk with them and, and, and tell them how the, the team is doing. And I think the Zoom nowadays has helped us really see things in a very different way. So it's going to be a great tool, not just, you know, for training now, but yeah. I also think, um, I mean, just kind of bouncing off that also, I mean, I know we've been doing these meetings for 11 weeks, but I think just in terms of education, you know, coaching education, you know, ask us talking about doing their whole clinic this year, via a virtual, not zoom, but over a bunch of different platforms. And I think, you know, accessibility wise, you know, for education purposes and mentor purposes, I think this will also contribute to this just so that way, you know, people, a lot more people won't have to travel as much as to attend a clinic. Yeah, I think that goes with, I think we've talked in other weeks about just kind of cutting costs for programs, which is going to become a necessity. And I think kind of going off Jason's point, like this is on the college level, hopefully going to make some programs more sustainable. You know, um, you can do a virtual home visit instead of having to travel and go show up in person and spend money on hotel, car, airfare, all that stuff. And I think there's aspects of it that are nice that you can, you can kind of roll out the red carpet to do things. But I think at the same time, um, I think realizing that we can get a lot done without spending a lot of money might help kind of sustain the sport a little longer, especially when it's on the, the non-revenue side of things. So I'm hoping that some of these realizations really help kind of curb back some of the excess and let us kind of put our resources back towards some of the things that might be more beneficial to our student athletes or to the program. We had a question. I don't know if you look at the chat from uh, Jörg Hoffman. He's from Germany and says, I have two U.S. college swimmers that now uh, save the program. They bring, I wonder how they control the plan uh, it, it, you know, the plan is making any progress, like a standard sets, how often to re you replay the sets for control. Uh, I don't know what you guys think. Uh, I know I don't have any plan right now. Uh, I know I might be able to start swimming Monday. Right now I'm swimming in a 20-yard pool with three people uh, uh, an hour. Uh, it's been two days. And... I think Monday I might be able to go one hour, just one hour a day. Uh, so to me, to plan anything right now, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, you know, are you guys already planning the season for next year? Do you have certain things that you want to do, accomplish certain sets or certain things? To be honest, Serge, I just want to be back in the water by this time next year with my whole team. <laughs> Like, that's about my only goal right now. I know I'm sitting the bar low, but, I mean, with the uncertainty, and I, I'm in Maryland, so I'm right by D.C. where all the riots are happening right now, too. So I really have no clue what's going what, what what's going to happen or what the future will hold. I sure. really just want, you know, I just want my kids back in the water, safe, happy, healthy, as soon as, they, as, soon as we can. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would tell jo uh, uh, York that, I think whoever is planning any type of sets or any type of things uh, for a normal season, oh, he says that, I mean, not, not now, I guess. I mean, during the, the season. I don't know if he meant normally during the season. Can you guys read the chat? Yeah, it looked like he was talking about during a regular season, some uh, – uh, just standard repeatable sets that are okay. um, milestone benchmark sets. So um, do you guys have any – I know we spoke one time about all these sets, but uh, do you guys have uh, any type of sets that you guys do to, to answer his question, something that, that you like? Well, I, I, I tossed this out when we talked about set sets, but I'll say it again. Um, 31 to 100 starting on two minutes, I'll – Type in the chat for you too. Um, Thirty-one, one hundred, starting on two minutes, descend two seconds per hundred, all the way down to a minute, and see how and see how long you can make it for until you drop. Um, you know, it's a tough lactate set, but it's really nice if I can get a kid who only made, you know, say I had a kid who only made twenty, um, 
20, 20 out of the 31 100s the first time. Then I do it a few months later and he's able to make 22 of them. It shows progress and it shows that he's able, that, that they got faster. Why 31? Because if you go, because if you start at two minutes, you have to do 31 to end at exactly one minute. Ah. <laughs> yeah, learned that the hard way the first time I tried it. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, um, I don't know, uh, uh, York, I think uh, for me, I have, I don't know if I have, I have many sets and, I, I, uh, you know, I do 30, 50s on one minute uh, that I like to do where I have this chart that I use. They do 150 fast and I put, I plug that time in, in my Excel sheet and, you know, and it gives me the basis for 50, 100s, 150s and 200s. So depends on, you know, I start the season probably on the lower aerobic end and I try to move the chart towards the, uh, you know, an aerobic type of work. So, you know, I might start, if my goal is for them to go 30, 50s on one minute in long course, uh, the first 10, backstroke the first 10, 30, the next 10, 29, and the next 10, 28, uh, I start the season maybe at 33s, depending on the chart, 33s, 32s, 31s, and then I keep moving through the season as I see that they improve, you know. So there's, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like he said that, like my 3050s. And I don't know if you guys wanna uh, jump into this. Uh, he knows what I do, you know. I think I kind of prefer seeing certain like consistency from week to week and kind of seeing progress maybe over the four or five weeks and maybe it's not the same set but it's kind of like progressing that and I know it's not like a benchmark you can keep revisiting but it it's something that there's a certain amount of like you can look back to something more recent and see that um so I don't I haven't used many like traditional test sets like eight 100s or anything like that as much as just kind of saying like how can we see that we're making progress maybe from week to week or if we're not, that's information as well. And maybe it means we're tired or um, we're overdoing it, but that's kind of what I've leaned to is kind of having a certain amount of continuity from week to week or from set to set within a week that you can see if they're progressing or not progressing and then using that information as opposed to having like a more strict benchmark. Now, do you guys use any of the traditional sets? Like you put here 100 100s, you know, a lot of people do 100 100s for Christmas. Or, you know, the 3,000, the 30 minute set, you know, the 3,000 set that General Bunch have used, or the 30 minutes, you know. Do you guys use any of those through the season? I've used the 10 300s to get those threshold times just as like a baseline and then uh -huh. like do that every once in a while too. Uh, how, how often do you do that? Probably every month and a half or so. I feel like. As you get into the Christmas time, like time kind of slips away from you, but definitely every month or so in the fall, just because they're hopefully progressing and those numbers are changing. And then towards Christmas and the holidays, probably a little less. You know, he wrote yeah, I, here, he just wrote something about like, uh, do you care that they're losing the speed by doing the endurance sets or you adjust to the plan? Or do you think the speed comes with rest anyway? Uh, I, I believe, uh, York. My opinion is that I try not to. I try to not to have them lose the speed as much as they can. I like them to swim fast and keep that. And I believe I can build endurance as a byproduct of that. You know, um, so I'm not the type of person that's going to do a lot of aerobic work, endurance work, just so I, they can swim fast at the end of the season. It's going to be. I'd rather sacrifice endurance work by keep them swimming fast all the time because they need to learn how to race fast. And maybe it's not a right thought, but it's at least it keeps them fresh to keep swimming fast all the time. Um, yeah. And also the speed is going to come with rest, you know, I really believe. But any thoughts from any one of you guys? I guess I have a thought, thought kind of, um, you know, so when we're thinking about this type of training, are we, 
think if you look at like some of the people who are breaking world records now or whatever, you know, their their front end speed is what's really the real difference from what it was years before, where it, whether it's Caleb or you know Katie Ledecky or Petey, they're going out a lot faster at a higher speed than ever before. Um, so you would think they either have the natural speed to go out fast or they're training to be at that high tempo speed. Is that what we're talking about as the next thing is the next big thing to break these world records? Cause it's kind of going off the process. Why has all the yards, you know, you know, um, American record times or U S open times still being broken, but you know, a one forty two. Oh, oh, or the 140, 340, something like that is still everybody's so far away long course compared to in yards, even though not everybody's doing yards or short course meters or whatever is, you know, is the next wave of having to go a lot faster and maybe sacrifice a little bit of the back end now. That's a good question. So Jason, that's, Actually, a good thought, but it's kind of funny that you mentioned that you know that you start that you you need to start fast and able to finish fast. Um, something that I've actually um, that I've seen a couple of times though is that coaches, and I don't know what you think about this, is that you know at the club level, and I've seen a couple of distance guys do this, where they instead of trying to finish fast, they try to maintain speed the same consistent speed the whole time like Ledecky she'll hold 26.2 the whole every for per 50 for a whole entire race um and that that will be her split every single time um throughout the full throughout throughout a whole 500 and I'm actually curious what you think like do you think that you, you know, so but speaking like a guy like Gressel um, who starts off fast and ends and ends a little slower than he goes out. And what do you think about, you know, what do you think about teaching kit, teaching athletes to hold consistently versus, um, versus, you know, start off fast and go and finish and finish slower. At least for me, I mean, that's what I've always thought with him, you know, because he always had that easy speed. So, you know, um, you know, for me, I try to enhance that and then, you know, let Greg Troy do his thing with his, a lot of swimming, work on his back end speed. So that's why he's able to come home about better. So I think, you know, for him, it was a combination of both. Um, but that's something I've been trying to do, you know, train my guys to have a faster opening speed um, slowly, at least trying to, because, you know, I work with, you know, Steve Boltman and he's on the opposite end. All his servers come back super fast. You know, so they do negative split like five times a week. So it's been trying to – I'm trying to combine the both where I want, I'm really working a lot on the opening speed and slowly adding the negative splitting to – as a secondary thing for me personally because I think if they're able to hold that speed, you know, because like I always have the th thought process of at some point, you know, when these swimmers always tell myself I'm going to die at the end of a race, at some point they're not going to die. If they truly believe at one point, they're just going to find a way. They just, for some reason, the lactic acid did not build the last 50 or the last 20 meters. You know, so for me, and that's my mindset. I'm an optimist. I'm thinking at some point, they're just be able to finish their races. And um, overall, with a lot of swimmers, I've seen that work really well. Does it work with everybody yet? No, but that's, for me, that's what I'm gearing it towards, especially for yards. Um, and then even for long course, how I'm able to, you know, slowly improve up the ranks with these guys and some of like Beryl Gastadella, the same thing, using that opening speed. And she always would tell me I'm dying, but you know, at the ISL, she didn't die. So I mean, that's something that I've been trying to work on with, you know, different things. Jason, I had a clarifying question for you. Are you, are you talking about like, and I'm assuming it's a combination. Are you talking about getting them faster at the top end so that they're opening speeds faster? Or are you more talking like having them take it out maybe at like 90% instead of 85% from like an effort or both? Both, because I'm just looking also at their stroke count and how much power and speed that they have. And obviously my goal is to minimize that, you know, to be at 85%, but your output is a lot higher. That's my goal is to still 
have the same effort, but you're able to put the output a lot up higher. So you don't have to get to the fourth year. You can still be at the third year. But, you know, sometimes I'm going to have to start at the fourth year and figure out ways to maneuver that way, at least in my opinion. I have, I have no idea, no thought process. I'm just, that's the way my brain thinks. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Jason. Uh, I've, I've always believed to, I have to coach the kids to be able to, when I designed the practice to work on the last 25% of the race. And, and that's how I, I'll design the practice. I think with the practice that I design, I do enough front end speed, you know, and enough now that our kids know how to swim fast, understand how to swim fast. We do a lot of lactic work. And as you rest, that front speed is going to be coming out pretty, pretty well. And I couldn't tell you if it's 80% or 90%. You know, when I, when I have a swimmer that doesn't know how to swim the 200 freestyle, for example, when they ask me, what I tell them is like this, what's your best time in the 100? So it's, well, it's a minute, you know. So you need to get out of the blocks and think about going around the speed of 105, 106. And you do that for the first uh, 25, you know, and as you turn at the 25, you want to start building, you know, between, sorry, if you're doing the 200, sorry, the, the, you do that for the first 75. And as you turn at the, at the 75, you need to start thinking how, in a subtle way, between your kick or your pull or whatever, you're going to increase between that 90%, that 105, to maybe a 103, you know, in that 25. But it cannot be just change hard. It just has to be in a subtle way. And then as you turn, you move in that speed. And normally you can go one or two something and come back in a one or two something. You know? uh, but so try to teach them how to get out always at a 90% effort. You know? Not uh, anything in, 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 a, in a 200 and up or in a 200 and a 400, less than a 90% effort, I think, wouldn't be, wouldn't be good, in my opinion. Will be too slow. Um, you know, York is asking. He said that Jason. That's my question too. Do you move, uh, do you do more very slow and very fast swim like the Scandinavian sport, or you prefer more like in the middle speed, like in the eighties? Do you guys understand what he's trying to? I, I think he's kind of asking like, do you do a lot of threshold versus like a lot of like speed and then low end aerobic stuff? Oh. I think, is that what he's asking? I think so. Like, yes, it says yes. Uh -huh. um, I know, and I don't know if other people have read about this. There's a lot of like interesting research and in, like, uh, like Nordic skiing and speed skating about this like polarized training model where they're kind of doing like eight out of 10 workouts a week or just these like low end long aerobic workouts. And then two workouts a week are super high end kind of like high intensity way above threshold. And they're saying they don't do any work in the middle there. And it's, it's really compelling, but it's also like research. So it's hard to just say, Oh, that's, that's what we all need to do. But, um, that question kind of made me think of that because it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's a lot different than how a lot of swim teams train in terms of how much threshold kind of is in the American swimming world. But um, I can't say I've really explored that a whole lot myself as a coach. I don't know if other people have. I haven't. I haven't. Really. You know, I, I've bounced around and sort of looked at some of those different things. Um, I, I feel like, and this is just straight up opinion. I feel like at the younger ages, the threshold stuff is really important for confidence. Sort of that spree de corps, that, that suffering, that misery, and like sort of bonding the, like, I'm, I'm a swimmer and I'm an athlete because I can endure and I can, I can push through the really, really hard stuff. And uh, I... I'll do, uh, I'll do a threshold test at the beginning of the year. I know it was kind of earlier. We were asking like, you know, the 30 minute swims and 3000 for times and 10, 300s. I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a test at the beginning of the year to sort of see where they're at. And then I'll touch the threshold maybe twice a week early on 
But then as the season goes, I tend to peel that stuff off uh, because I just don't see them making any gains in that area of the sport. I don't see them. I don't see big drops in their, their uh, anaerobic threshold or their aerobic threshold. I just see it's, I'm sorry, not their anaerobic. I don't see um, much gain in their aerobic threshold, but I do see, I do throw those in at least once a week just for the confidence of I'm tough. And I'm not sure if that's killing speed or if it's increasing speed. I know it's increasing confidence. And I believe the mental game uh, is, is kind of a big deal. So it, it's not anti-science, but it's more of, yeah, scientifically it may not be super beneficial, but I think uh, emotionally for some people they need it. I think that's a good point. I think we need to do more of that psychological aspect of training, you know, and I think we all coaches do probably a lot of that more than the scientific way, you know, because we want our kids to understand what toughness is and how to finish races and how to do things. So here we have Jimmy. Jimmy. Sorry, I'm so late. Yeah, we started with your question, and now we're talking about the weather. But uh, <laughs> do you wanna? Do you wanna? You know, I, I don't know if I did justice to the question that you asked, but yeah, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll share a little bit. I yeah, I'm certainly thinking about it like a lot of other guys, and I know talking to some coaches that there's some you know thoughts that more and more of the training will be outside the pool. You know, I talked to one very high level coach that thought that most of the conditioning stuff might eventually be outside the pool and then in the pool is mostly technique and race pace and maybe some power stuff and things like that. You know, I don't know whether that would work, you know, at a higher distance level, of course, you know, thinking mostly 200 and under, but you know, it's an interesting thought. I, I talked to Jonty Skinner about two years ago and um, he evidently had been thinking about some track workouts, something that I sort of had in my head to try, but I never had a facility to try it, you know, for sprinters. And I know he was trying to incorporate a little bit of that in there. You know, maybe your, your hundred guys, like your 400 track guy, your 50 guys, like your 200 guy, et cetera. You know, you, uh, try to incorporate a little bit of mix there, but um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm always curious to know what the that next thing is, right? The, we had the underwater dolphin kick. We had, you know, increased dry land, strength training, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, what's next? I, I think I heard a little bit of the psychological at the end. And, you know, I always think too, boy, if there's a way to tap into the mind and some greater capacity, where the athlete can actually uh, give more than they think that they can give, or they could figure out, you know, whatever that ultimate potential is, both physically and, and mentally that, you know, there's, uh, there's a ceiling. It seems like we're, you know, a lot of athletes are at, there's probably a lot more there, but uh, um, so those are just generalities for me. Um, I'd love to come up with the next, you know, breaststroke technique or you know something that it creates a change for those of you that have been coaching a while you know if you remember when breaststroke first changed um you know i was coaching for a guy named bill peak who's uh, passed away it was probably one of the best coaches in the world and he comes back from Asuka or wherever and is like we're changing breaststroke you know and we called it the seahorse drill you know, and coming way the heck out of the water, lunging forward, way up and lunging forward. And so it's almost like we went from this flat thing to, you know, way up and out and then, you know, some sort of hybrid now. And, uh, um, yeah, what those things are is all very interesting to me. Um, um, so uh, I didn't give you any great ideas. It's just stuff that I'm batting around in my head and trying to wonder – if anybody else has come up with something that, that they think is going to be, you know, you know, have a guy break 20 in the 50 meter free long course or, you know, breaststroker, we already have Adam Petey, whatever the next level of Adam Petey is, um, you know, the next guy 
Bob Bowman talked about the first guy that could break 150 long course, 100 meter fly, right? And, you know, he says, well, it's certainly going to be the guy that's under 40 in the 100, under 50 in the 100, and can cruise out in, you know, 51 if there is such a thing. And uh, um, what kind of athlete does that look like? And, you know, what kind of skill level and all that kind of thing. But uh, so, anyway. Just some thoughts in my head. So sorry I missed. I'm sure you guys had some great things bouncing around. I don't think we got anything really specific or great about that. I think one of the things that I said was that I think we're going to be forced to think now outside the box more than we ever thought because of the circumstances that we have with this yep. coronavirus stuff. And I really believe that we can still be breaking world records and swimming fast. It's just yeah. going to be a matter maybe instead of on three hours a day or four hours a day, we're going to have to do it with an hour and a half. You know, it's like when the swimsuits came around, the fast suits, those uh, Jake and all that stuff, they broke what, 168 world records in a year? And everybody mm -hmm. thought that those world records were going to stay there forever. And many of them have fall, you know, have been broken. You know, so. Yeah. You're right. So I think it's, it's, it's a psychological way to think that we're going to have to really think outside the box and be calm in the next year, two years, of how we do things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, go to the Olympic Games if, if they're going to happen and make sure that people break Olympic records and maybe world records, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I would think if you – Obviously, we're all limited by facilities and somewhat, but if you had the ideal world set up, what would it be? You know, I'm sure a lot of us would love to have a, a gym right next to the pool. You've got rope climbing and you've got all sorts of things that could challenge the, the athleticness of your athletes, right? And try to make them just better athletes. And, uh, you know, um, can but, we have more Matt Griever types or, you know, whatever, right? And, uh, but think about now. Now, it doesn't matter the type. Now you're going to have to have a gun to check the temperature of the guy walking in. <laughs> they, they have to come with a swimsuit because this, the locker rooms are closed. Right. They're going to have, you know, to put their stuff in one assignated area and maybe have one or two people per lane. And, you know, so things are going to be like that for a while. And who knows what's going to happen afterwards if there's a second wave or a third wave or whatever the heck it is. You know? right. so, so I think that's a great question to try to understand how we can make, you know, like you remember when the swimsuits came along, you put a, a girl that was 160 pounds in one of the suits. That her best time was 155 in the running freestyle, shave and taper. Now you put her inside a suit and goes 149 just because she's floating. Go, and you're thinking I'm a great coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. when when those suits disappear, we now we're getting those girls to go 149 or faster. You know what I mean? That in the past we were not thinking about being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, there might be some things coming back, you know, like you you uh you know, take an old rowing machine or gominer and uh I don't know if he did that when you were there at Northwestern Sergio, but I know Bob had these creative thoughts of mounting them up on the walls, you know, and the athletes can stand under it. And, you know, then you've got some steady pressure as opposed to the VASA trainer, right, where it's, you know, a, a little bit different kind of thing or progressive type, type stress. But um, um, many of you know, may remember Doug Boyd. Doug Boyd's sister, if I remember correctly, went to Brown University and this is in the 80s, and she broke 50 in the 100-yard freestyle. I don't know, maybe 1988. I don't remember the year. She did half her training on a, on a rowing machine because she had a bad shoulder. And now, again, it's short course. We all know that that's a little different than long course, but still. You know, she did very, very limited water time, um, even back then as a, whatever she was, 20-year-old. And... Uh, uh, was incredibly fast doing it. Yeah. So, uh, I, I know in the past in the past two years here, I, I I have bought a lot of rowing machines, so I have them on the pool deck now, and we do a lot of rowing, and then we just go from the rowing into the water, 
and it's it's very interesting, you know, with those sets where if you want to go a 52 and a half breaststroke, you do 52 seconds in a certain, you know, or you build into that, you know, and then it's it's such as in a short period of time you can work at such high output or whatever you want to call it that right. uh, or, or you know, and it's very cyclical, so it's very like swimming, you know. Yeah. So so I, I things like that, I bet they're gonna they're gonna happen a lot. You know, people are gonna have to be more creative. I'm with you. Uh, uh. Gee, are, are you awake there? <laughs> so, uh, it's been a long week already and it's only Wednesday. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I actually, I, I've come off a very similar conversation this afternoon. Um, I think uh, with, with Ian Pope discussing something very, you know, very similar in, with regards to how we, we're about to change the way we train, um, not through design, but through, you know, enforcement. And, and the ones that are going to make the biggest difference are those that, that react the quickest to that. Um, and, and he was kind of going back to, that, I guess, a period in time where Australia, it was a very short period in time, where Australia had a few fairly fast sprinters um, based on very very small volume in the pool, nothing but low-level tech um, and, and high high capacity on land. I think, I think just as you were kind of alluding to there, that the dry land's going to become, you know, a huge, huge component over the next 18 to, to 24 months, I guess. For those looking for Olympic success, it's going to be probably the, the thing that defines the difference between podium and, and you know, also ran. Um, so I think the the guys that get that right are going to be the people that make the biggest difference. Those that can transfer athletic um, developments and and not lose the technical reach. I think one of the things I've definitely found with with athletes over this period of time is that they're fitter and stronger than they've ever been. You know, these are athletes that I've worked with every day, but they're you know you know yourself we're we're more efficient on dry land, so we can work harder. So they're fitter and stronger. But we put them in a pool, and you know, like they're 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 gonna be different. So if you can if you can find a way to make that work, you're the you're the best coach in the world at that point. <laughs> well, David mentioned before you join in. David mentioned the same thing, you know, about the the conditioning and the dry land, and you know, it's I think it's gonna be very important. You know. I think we're probably going to see more swimmers that look like swimmers used to be. You know, like there's there's so many. I'm I'm working with an age group program, and and we we had a lot of multi sport athletes who were solid. You know, like quite bulky and huge. And over this period of time of the work we've done, they're lean and strong and stringy, um, and and they just look explosively fast. But you know what they look like when we get them in the pool will be will be interesting. I don't know. I don't know what everyone else is, is seeing in their athletes. You know that that physical and morphological change over the. You know, I guess it's always three months for us now. Oh. I don't know, G. For me, when I got, you know, I'm I'm not back in the water yet, but I know a lot of coaches around me are are back in the water are back in the water, and they're teaching their seniors how to do streamline again because they forgot. So I don't know how long it's going to be to reteach these guys how to swim. I think even getting into the position, um, like we, we've had to like really introduce some some heavy volume yoga over the last four weeks um, because we 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 did some on, we did some online testing um, of streamlined position and they couldn't get into it based on the fact that we'd done nothing but dry land. Um, so you know, like trying to get them to be able to mobilize has been eye opening, I guess. I'll tell you what, when we've been doing our dry lands, I've been running on myself and I do all the workouts. I don't watch the kids do it at all. I just film myself. I do the workouts and I've just doing the workouts. I'm constantly talking to them. All right, hey guys, this is the dolphin kick of the, depending on the exercise. We're using a lot of stability ball, foam rollers and other things. They're all free weight. I mean, sorry, body weight. Um, but like I keep finding myself in new positions where I'm like, gosh, this is a great stretch. I'm like, all right, hold on guys. And I'll start doing something. That's, all right, I got to write this down. This is this is a great streamline. I was doing, I was laying on a foam roller uh, just three day, a couple days ago, and I was just doing some some mobility work with my shoulders, and I started streamlining above. But I, I hadn't been streamlining the first few times, and then you know the first few days that I had done it, and then I started 
locking my streamline out, trying to touch the inside of my elbows and extending my lats out. And just gravity pulling me down into that position instead of doing it on the floor or standing. It was just opening things up like crazy. And I was like, guys, this is awesome. And I keep finding places in dry land. And then I always spout it out. Guys, this is this. This is this. Um, and so I've been using that a lot to, to teach myself this is another better way. I haven't done it this way before. I can do it better. And I think that uh, coaches that coach age group right now and coaches that work with the young kids and can transfer what we're doing and how we can sort of change the paradigm of um, what exactly what you were talking about, the, the stronger, more athletic machine of a person that used to do multi-sports, you being able to use this to re-harness the importance of that back to families. Cause I believe a lot of families would always, well, not always often put their kids into programs where they will, um, who's going to do the most yard who's going to get the most out of my kid right now, this season in the next three months, because my goodness, they need to go to a JO meet. Um, and so uh, I think as coaches are able to step back and when you go to the pool, if you've only got 45 minutes, you're not going to be doing any tr- sloppy swimming. I mean, there'll be no bad streamlines going on if you've got 45 minutes. So, hey, guys, we got, this is going to be perfection. And I think the outcome years down the road could be more athletic, taller, uh, bigger people that don't have a lot of ingrained bad habits through just trying to be fit and then out swimming their, their counterparts. But pe- people that are just – maybe being engineered to be just awesome swimmers. And then when puberty and and life kicks in and they're able to become big giant swimmers, uh, I think, I think we'll see big gains from this type of, uh, um, if, if this type of behavior is embraced. Awesome. Yeah. Anyone, this is like, <laughs> I think uh, just following up on that, I, I, I think what you said there about the change in, in the types of people that we're going to see in the sport, if we embrace this and make the most out of it, could be huge. Um, you know, swimming, we, we might think we're working with the best people in the world, best athletes in the world, but we're not, you know. But actually, if it becomes a more attractive sport because it becomes less time intensive, it becomes what we all pretend it is. We, we talk a game about technique driven sport but in age group programs you know you hit the nail on the head like people go places where they work them hard and win now and they don't necessarily think about what goes down the line that's not going to be a thing anymore because people won't have pool time for this period and actually i think as i say you'll be the best coach in the world if you can transfer that that innate or or, you know strength or or ability on dry land into technical excellence in the pool and um, and that's that's not necessarily something that's been required as a as an age group coach in the past. People that have been regularly successful maybe have done it to a degree, but you've not had to be you've not had to be on your A game all the time. And I think I think that's going to have to be the case now. Awesome. And, and also just thinking about that, I mean. We're talking about all these athletes who used to be, you know, who, who were getting kind of cross training because, you know, I, I have swimmers who on top of coming to me to practice twice a week, we're also running track. We're also playing basketball, playing basketball, playing soccer, playing, um, you know, playing other sports. I think it's going to be interesting. And we may like, I think it's going to be interesting to see what some of my swimmers are going to look like when they come back, because I know some of my guys, they've definitely kept up the running, kept up doing their workout regimens. Other guys, they're going to be way, way, way out of shape. Um, I think, I mean, us as, I, I truly believe that we can learn from other coaches that are not within our sport. So like, for example, one of my, one of my best friends is a rodeo coach out in Colorado. And, um, and we go back and forth on dry land ideas all the time. And I think, we as just a community of sports um, are going to need to start collaborating a little bit more with how are we getting our kids to train at home because they can't be with us as much as we used to be. Did, did I get that right? That was a rodeo coach? Yes, rodeo. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he 
he tells me every day, Trevor, if your kids can wrestle down a bull, they can beat anybody in a race. And I believe him, but still. I, I, I would I'd pay money to come and listen to that guy. That would be amazing. <laughs> those, those are some of the toughest human beings I think I've ever seen. I've seen I've seen a guy get hit square square in the chest by a bull and then roll backwards and get up. So, yeah, as, as you say, if we could, we had kids that could do that, they they'd be all right in the water. Uh-huh. Now I can tell you, at home, my son is a freshman, and he went up to 195 pounds. That for him was a lot, you know. And right now, the last two months, right now I think he's 173, 174. You know, his body has totally changed. And today was his second day in the water. And we're not doing anything. Eh? We just have an hour. But his breaststroke kick, he used to have a very good breaststroke kick catching from the back. And somehow the last couple of years has, hasn't been that good. And now it's back to catching from the back. It's very interesting. You know? And now he looks totally different. You know? But it's very interesting how technically he's able to do things that he was able to do when he was a kid but he hasn't been able to do at a hundred percent with 20 pounds more. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense. It's just an observation that I saw in the last couple of days, you know, he's at home, so he doesn't want to exercise. I'm not going to force him. So, you know, uh, so I'm okay with that. But, but I, you know, I see a totally different body that before he, we got into the quarantine. Totally. So to do like you know if he can kick this now you run him to get back to 195 or you think about let's keep it at 185 well i think i think what i'm gonna try to understand right now we're gonna do a lot of easy swimming in a way because we don't have a lot of time and i don't wanna to me it's like a honeymoon you know it's like when you get married you know it lasts six months and after that it's just work the love goes out the window you know so uh, well, not for Trevor. For Trevor, is different. But, but uh, for somebody who got married in Las Vegas, understands totally. Um, so, if if we start pushing, 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 pushing these kids, uh, we might break them. You know. So I think my opinion right now. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to sustain an hour a day for the next month. So if I can sustain an hour a day, I'm gonna start slowly, work more on technique, making him understand better. This, do some lactic work so he can feel speed, you know, and try to, you know, do some, some dry land more because I think once he gets in the water, he might be more motivated to exercise outside. You know, he's been doing some rowing and some stuff, but he's lost 20-something pounds. Let's say 20 pounds. You know? And I bet a lot of our athletes, but the college athletes, will be in that position. You know? So... Right now, technically, I'm going to try to make sure that he keeps that kick that he had when he was a kid. Yeah, because that was, that's one of his tools. Weapons. Uh, anybody else has anything to say about any of this? It, it may not be a huge deal, but I would say that I, I did get a chance to work with a lot of kids that used to do very similar training than what we're talking about, where it would just be dry land, dry land, dry land with some swim and tons and tons of dry land, very little swim. And they were good swimmers. They were good athletes. And um, the one downfall, and this, this I figured out after about a year with uh, um, a lot of them is, and, and it, if we end up training that way more often, I just would say coaches would watch out for this would be is when they would go to meets, they would really struggle finishing meets. And I don't think they struggled finishing meets because of lack of fitness, lack of strength, lack of anything like that. Uh, what I found out was they struggled finishing meets because of lack of warm down. And they were so unused to keeping their heart rates up in the water for, uh, you know, 10 minutes straight they kind of looked at that as sort of like a punishment, bad place to be in swimming. And so they were great at front end. They could have back end. They could race hard. Um, but when it came to going to a warm down pool and saying, I need you to keep your heart rate up for 10, 12 minutes, uh, up at around a 140 level. So it kind of reset that nervous system and, and the glycogen stores, man, they, they just wouldn't do it. And so by that second, third day of the meet, they'd sort of tapped out 
because they weren't used to doing those types of activities in the pool anymore. And so I would just be curious about anyone's ideas on ways uh, to strategize, you know, if swimming does turn into a little bit more of, uh, at least for the, the, the short run, um, what we're doing now, how to warm down and keep these guys excited about the warm down process. I would try to jump rope, bicycle, like a stationary bike. It's a punishment, you say. Instead of swimming, you know, if you, if you have a meet at home, you know, like we did, we did a lot of studies or we did a lot of stuff uh, in Singapore about how to one group doing a warm-up in the pool and another group doing a warm-up outside the pool. And many of the times, the people that did the warm-up outside of the pool swam faster than the people doing the warm-up in the pool. So I think if, you, if the idea is to keep the heart rate 140 or go from 160 to 120 in a period of 10 minutes, you can do that, accomplish that on a jump rope, or you can accomplish that somewhere else where the kid doesn't feel that he has to swim and it's a punishment. You know? It's a lot easier to sit in a bike and, and do that you know, or to just do different sets of jump ropes. You, know, you can do 8 times 30 seconds and the first two keep your heart rate 160, the next two keep at 150, the next two 140, you know, and keep coming down. So, and I think the kids will buy into that because they can be chatting, they can be doing something else. You know. So that would be my thought. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And that's, that's kind of the direction I'd like to keep going in. It's just, I, I feel, uh, I would just caution coaches if they're seeing success, but then they get to the end of the meets and sometimes they're saying, man, they can't finish. They need to train more and more yards we may end up training the speed out of them uh, when it might just be more of, we just need to do a better job warming down. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I know when, when we start at balls and we change the way from the yardage to the less yardage, not that I'm saying that the high yardage that they did before was bad. It's a different way of doing things, but we did dry land. We started the first couple of years with five times a week, you know, and then we went to four times a week. So all those guys were doing anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. And sometimes they would swim 15 minutes after that, you know, and we base everything. A lot of our, a lot of our I believe a lot of our success with those high school kids was because of the, the conditioning outside of the pool. I, I have no doubt about that, you know. And that's a base that I used to with the, the college kids. You know, we don't have to train that much in the water if we can do certain things three or four times a week outside of the water, you know. So, and, and you know, and I remember I like to taper up to five weeks. And I don't know if I said this in this group. And when I was at Auburn, I was writing the practices for everybody and this. And at one point, they were separating a little bit. But Brett Hawk said, okay, Sergio, uh, now for taper, you know. How many weeks do you think you're going to need for taper? How do you going to do it? And I explained to him my thought process that I need five weeks. And he's like, what? Five weeks? He's like, that's a lot. And I said, well, this is why I, did, I do it, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, what about if we do three? I said, you're the boss. You know, you, I didn't argue with that. You tell me, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. So we agree on three. And... We went to SECs and we swam pretty well. Best times and this and that. But a week later, uh, at the last chance meet in Georgia, I had eight guys, eight, you know, doesn't happen very often. Eight guys making NC ways. Some guys that go 150, uh, five 200 breaststroke go 153. Some guy that goes 144 200 fly go 141. Yeah. And so, and, and then after all this process, he came up to me and said, you know, Sergio, because then we went to NC2As and we swam pretty well. So he said, you know, now I understand what you were talking about the dryland. It doesn't matter in that sense if you rest three or five weeks. You keep resting and the kids' conditioning never change. You know, the, their bodies and all that. And, you know, you, Jason, you've seen that with our, our kids, you know, because that's what we did with the high school team. I think the conditioning is a very important part. So, just my thought. 
Yeah, just following up on the on the bikes, um, we've used uh, a similar protocol um, in the past, um, taking bikes with us to meets for that very reason. I guess in the future, if we're going to have to designate space rather than being a swim down pool, um, they're they're hugely more effective um, at, at recovery than swimming. Um, in terms of if you can get if you can get consistent cadence for uh, three minutes plus um, on a bike, you're going to see a much better shift um, for for any any toxins and and your and, and so whatever profile you're testing for is going to be vastly improved by using the bike on dry land post swim. Um, so I think that's definitely a useful a useful tool. And actually, in terms of planning for putting meats on, that might be something that people need to start thinking of. You know, instead of having a recovery pool, having spaces, you know, you can have a two meter square with a bike in it. And then, you know, you just, you're not going to be able to have people in the water, but you can control that space much, much easier. So that's definitely something I think that we'll maybe see the rise of again. I think, I think the bike too, I I would just, you know, I think I have, I think next year I'll have 18 rowing machines, you know, on the pool deck. I could use those too. You know, I could use those to just recover. Because if you think about it, if you do the rowing and you do it at an easy speed, nothing hard, you know, it's it's very good. You're moving every everything, you know, every muscle and, and it's the the cadence too is very nice. It's very cyclical, you know. Bum 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 bum. So so I think anything that you do like that, I agree with G is gonna help us, you know, you know, uh, recover better and you know and, you know, yeah. Hi, right, guys. Anything else that you guys want to comment about this? No? Awesome. Like, I think next week we're going to be five of us. Uh, it's okay. Uh, but, uh, but let's see if, you know, we have, you know, have something more. I'm going to try to do this as long as we don't get into a routine. It doesn't matter if it's five people or 10 people or hundred people. But if you think of anything, guys, you guys can think of something like, like Jimmy, Jimmy thought about this. Just let me know. I'll bring it up and then we can chat about it and we can, you know, throw things out there. Right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Now let's go have a beer. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, I'm thanks. ready too, Serge. Uh, I was having one. <laughs> Not. Hi, <laughs> right, guys. Have Take a care. Have a beautiful Thank you. day. Take Bye. care, guys.